Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now, back, back to the bins. And welcome to Back to the Bins. Thank you for joining us. Sorry we've been away for so long, but we are back now. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. Hey, how's it going, brother? Uh, it's, uh, it's great to talk to you again. We really <laughs> haven't had a chance to speak since the comic show last week. Speak, boy, speak! <laughs> Good dog. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, I know. Ever since the, the the comic show that we went to together, I was like, damn, he must have really got tired of me because no, we no, haven't spoken we, since. So. I, 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 think, I think it was just one of those instances where, once again, we both just had fucked up weeks. Oh, yeah of busy and not really being able to do much of anything. And it's like, if I, you know, I was, I was waking up at six o'clock every morning to edit because I promised, uh, I promised my wife that I'd have the evenings for her, you know, just trying to be a good husband. So, uh, it was tiring. Yeah. But enjoyable. My homework all came due at once and it was like, none of the classes were like a quick little, okay, let me knock this out in 15 minutes. They were all like (laughs) nine hours later, Scott's still doing labs. It was like, yeah, this is fucking terrific. This is great for my podcasting time, but I got all the shit done anyway, but man, oh man. Now you were telling me just before we started something about, you know, you, you just went to the comic shop. Now I don't have a comic shop. You know, I do all my stuff online as far as new comics or what, but I actually went into a, a comic shop yesterday just briefly. I, I hadn't actually set foot in one in a while and cause I needed a comic box. That was, that was my, I guess you could call it my Valentine's day presents as we record this Valentine's day was yesterday. So that was one of my Valentine's day presents was my wife. Let me buy a, a new comic box. I didn't realize the damn things had gone up to seven bucks. Now it's like, man, I thought yeah, that was a it, lot. If you're going to, if you're going to buy your comics online, I found a site where you could get like 10 for, uh, man, it was, it, it worked out to like $3 a piece. Oh, in comic boxes, you mean? For comic boxes, that's not so, bad at all. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I need to tra- trade out all of my short boxes mm-hmm. uh, because they're just very old, and I've been stacking them. I've been, do- I've been doing something very bad as a comic collector. I've been stacking them six high. Ooh, yeah, uh, mine are four, and that's as high as I dare go on mine. Yeah, well, you know, when we finally get the house the way we've been talking about for years. Um, you know, I'll be able to to spread them out a little more. But you you saw my collection last week, yeah. Too, so yeah, Why? See, I can say that because I've got you know I've got an entire room that's just the comic room. You know, whereas yeah, you know, you've got you don't you have a premium on space, so yeah, I <laughs> so, understand. But uh, no, actually, I, I felt like I was cheating on this show by going and buying new comics. <laughs> it was really funny. That's weird. 
<laughs> that is funny, though, that you say that. No, it's just like, you know, I went up there because, you know, I, I've, I've called my, my pull list down so short. Uh, you know, I, I actually had to remind them because they were still pulling books for me that I had dropped two months ago, uh, which uh, I've really got to straighten that out next time I go up there. I didn't really have a whole lot of time. But, um, you know, I, I collect two characters now, and that's it. And I'm really happy to stick to that. But, man, it, you know, the, the fact of the matter is is that cheaper. Old comics are just cheaper for me at this point. Oh, hell yeah. Get so much more enjoyment out of them, but it's just so weird not being in the thick of it anymore. It it, it is. It's funny you should say that because I was thinking that very thing today. Because um, I was, uh, I sat down. I, w- I was looking at my old numbers because I I still people all laugh at this, but I still when I actually catalog my comics, you know, when I actually like enter them into my data my database, so to speak, my database consists of a card file. And I'm still doing three by five cards. I know that's very like you know 20th century, but you know it's just it's how I've always done it, and it's hard for me to break the habit. So I sat down to do it today, and it turned out, according to the last numbers I had on there, that I hadn't done it since what month is six? Is that June? June of last year was the last time I sat down and put like all these comics that I had read into the database. So I was doing that, and. Uh, I just totally lost my train of thought. What the hell was I? Where was I going with? I don't know. Uh, I was, buying new comics. Yeah, and the that fact was it. That we don't. Yeah, and I was looking do as at much anymore. Yeah, that was it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for putting me back on track. Yeah, I was looking at, you know, all these modern comics. You know, like Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps and JSA and all that, and and going, wow, you know, suddenly I'm not buying or reading any of it, and it was weird when I realized it. I was like, you know, save for like. Jonah Hex and Secret Six and Walking Dead, and I think that's it. I, I think those are the only modern comics I'm keeping up with. Everything else I'm ordering when I order my stuff, you know, my, my regular books, is I'm getting, you know, like uh, like back issue, which is just about old comics, and I'm getting, um, you know, I'm starting to get into the the Star Wars trades and Omnibuy and stuff. So I mean, I'm really not up on modern stuff at all for the first time. Ever. And I mean, yeah. you know, we're talking to somebody who went through like the 90s and didn't quit. You know, I mean, I've never quit. Yeah. I've, I've always <laughs> fought with me. And suddenly it's like I went from being like right in the thick of it to I'm completely out of the freaking loop. I mean, I'm seeing things get posted up on our forum, you know, on the, like the main CGS forum. Because um, I subscribe to that. And people will post things up. Or, or worse yet, it's like I'll get those... Um, newsletter things from Marvel.com. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. I have no idea. What they're, they're like, you know, they'll have a little poll that says, you know, what are you most excited about? And it'll be like, blah, blah, blah is, you know, getting a new costume or, you know, Dirt Girl is, you know, got a boob reduction. Or, and I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck any of these things I'm supposed to vote on are. I, I've not heard of any of them. And it's so weird, you know. But I... You know, strangely though, even though it is weird and it gives me kind of a funny feeling in the pit of my stomach, ultimately, I, it's on the flip side. I don't. I find that I don't care that much. It's not like something has happened to make me go, oh, "I missed that." Oh my god, I got to get back into it. You know, not, not so far, nothing like that has happened. Well, where I feel like I've missed anything. I, I'm very much the same way. Like I, you know, the the last time I went to the comic shop was in the middle of December, 
And the only reason I remember that is that was the day Jeffrey and I over at uh, From Crisis to Crisis got to interview Jerry Ordway. Uh, and I was rushing home so I could be on the pewter in time to uh, to get that. And I haven't been in two months. And I've been, like, vaguely interested in the books that I'm still interested in. Uh, one set we won't talk about because I'm sick of hearing it from you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, damn it, you had to give me crap about it last Sunday, too, didn't you? <laughs> I will continue to do so. I, I, I know, and I, and, I, and I appreciate your efforts. I look at it as an intervention, I'll, honestly. <laughs> I really do. I look at it as, you know, if, if you were hooked on crack, I'd pretty much be doing the same thing. But instead, you're hooked on crap, which is kind of worse, really, when you look at it. But you know we have the whole you have the whole fall of the Hulks thing going on. Oh God! And and I'm still Hulk is my favorite Marvel character, as I will be discussing uh, at several points in this in this episode. And I kind of have been kind of curious as to what's been going on. The, the funniest thing about not being involved anymore is I find the more I'm sequestered from it the less I feel it. Like, you know, it's been two months. I went up there today only because it was the only day in the week that it was really convenient for me to go. I could have gone Wednesday. I could have gone Friday. It really didn't, wouldn't have mattered. It just, it was just, this was the best day for me to go. I didn't go because I needed to go to the shop. Mm Mm-hmm. And that used to be a weekly thing for me. Like, if I couldn't go to the shop, I'd be like, uh, 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 you know, like going through the delir- getting the delirium tremens and all that. Uh, you know, that freaking bad. But now it's just like, eh, eh. When I go, I go. It'll be up there. They're not going to close <laughs> down my box. I mean, well, they could, but I don't think they're going to. And you know what? I feel better for it. <laughs> I honestly, no, no, I honestly do. I honestly feel like. Not so much an addict, because I think that's the wrong approach, because at no point did my collecting impede on my work or my relationship. It's not like I it's not like I stayed home and read comics instead of going to my job. <laughs> you know, and you know, it's not like Rachel and I were ever on the verge of a divorce because, mm-hmm. you know, I you know, I was spending all the money on comics. She would have kicked my ass a long time ago with that. But you know, it's just it's the best thing about it, and here it is. I've been trying to search for a way to say this. The best thing about it is I'm going because I want to go, not because I feel I have to. And I'm reading what I want to read, not reading five different books because I want to stay current on what's going on in the universe as a whole. I don't care about the universe as a whole anymore. And that's really weird, but like I said, it feels really freaking good. Right. Oh, I, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And it, it, to me, it, it, I think it comes down to, you know, when you take certain underpinnings of each of the universes, I'm talking Marvel and DC, you know, when, when certain pillars are, are knocked out, the, the whole house of cards just collapses. Mm-hmm. And that's really what happened to me in, in both universes is that one of the vital pillars of both of them was knocked out. And I find that when that happened, I suddenly I really don't care about the the universe whole, and that's weird and sad and everything else all at the same time. You know, I'm I'm happy to 
at this point retreat to you know the back issues especially the unread back issues because there is such a oh god you know, a vast you know field out there that you know is still to to me is still untapped stuff that i just haven't ever read and i'm i'm loving it mm-hmm. I, i'm i'm more i'm more excited about comics right now than i ever have been and it's weird cuz i'm not in <laughs> modern comics at all right now so it's really it's it's bizarre it's well, it's so strange but well here's a really good example outside of the week you know the weekend we had where we were wingmen to each other you know getting back issues and stuff in the 50 cent boxes i, I got something off of ebay based on your suggestion over at the forum uh it was one of your ebay picks of the week and it was the limited collector's edition presents C46. It was the Justice League of America. And frankly, I don't really like Silver Age Justice League stories all that much. To me, they're fairly interchangeable. Right. You know, they're fighting Kanjar Rowe. They're fighting Starbreaker. Everyone's going to be talking the same. It really doesn't matter. And... But the reason why I got the, this book, and I paid $10 for it, which I thought was pretty good. I think I think if you get $10 for any of these treasury editions, you're doing fairly well. Right, yeah. Because, because some of them can be really expensive. And some people on eBay will just jack shit up to, oh, God, it was bothering me the other day when I was looking there. But I basically bought this for the front cover and the back cover. I don't know who this artist is. This is Neil Adams. You know what cover I'm talking about? Yeah, right? now, yeah, I believe that is Neil Adams. I, I, I let me see if I've, if I can pull up my own cover gallery real quick. I can tell you exactly. I was going to say I don't have the book in front of me, but I can put it in front of me. Well, while you're doing that, I'll, okay. I'll describe it. The, the front cover is the Justice League of America. It's Superman, Hawk, uh, going clockwise. Superman, Hawkman, Wonder Woman, Green Arrow, Batman, Flash, Green Lantern, and Aquaman, and it's the Barry Allen. And uh, Hal Jordan, Flash, and Green Lantern, respectively. You flip this bad boy over, and it's the original Justice Society of America. And I found it kind of fascinating that they they put the JSA on the back because it's not a crossover inside. You know, you would have thought if they were going to go, you know, go this far, why not just you know, you know, put a JSA JLA story in there, but. It's a JSA team shot, and again, clockwise, it's Superman, Hawkman, Wonder Woman, Dr. Midnight, uh, Batman, the Jay Garrick Flash, the Alan Scott Green Lantern, and Dr. Fate. I, I paid $10 for two covers, just because I wanted this so bad. I'm going to be completely <laughs> honest. It's so awesome. They recently turned these into tumblers, like drinking ah. glasses, and I really want to pick those up. At some point, I wish they would turn either one of these pictures into a T-shirt. I have oh, seen some no awesome doubt. T-shirts lately, and I would love to see these as a T-shirt. You know what I saw yesterday? And I almost got it, and then I got to thinking, "All right, let's let's put this into perspective. It's it's ten bucks, which I think is a little bit much for a T-shirt, and it's only just the symbol. But I still, it just struck me as awesome because you just don't see much stuff with this character. But it was a, a red T-shirt." With the giant Captain Marvel lightning bolt. And it was so cool. I almost bought it, and then I thought, "Eh, I don't really need to spend $10 on that. But it was awesome. Yeah, you can get those from Graffiti Designs. Mm -hmm. And they got two different versions. They have, like, the standard one, and then they have the 
for lack of a better term, Alex Ross one where the lightning bolt starts at the collar mm-hmm. and comes down. Personally, I want a Black Adam shirt. But I oh, yeah. That. I just think that's awesome. <laughs> See people wearing that at Walmart and going, do I talk to him? Or is it going to be another one of these things uh, where he has no idea what he's wearing right. and I look like a freak? So. <laughs> I, I used to do that. And every once in a while, if it's an exceptionally remarkable shirt that I figure they probably had to go out of their way as a geek to get that shirt. I'll, yeah. I'll say something, but if it's something I figure, well, they're just wearing it because they think it looks cool. So I, I won't say anything. Cause the last <laughs> several times I've said, Oh, I love that shirt. You know, I remember when blah, 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 you know, and they just look at you like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know? So I, I, yeah, I, I stopped like, doing anything like that. But. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice thought, but yeah. Well, before I forget, you you said a couple of things I wanted to go back to real quick was, uh, you know, you were talking about you know comics coming between you and your wife or anything like that. I'm just curious, did 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 comics ever come between you and like a, a girlfriend or anything like that? You know, in the in the past? Um, no, not really. I mean, the, the, I, I have not had a long and drawn out dating life. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I dated a couple girls in high school. I had one very serious girlfriend. Uh, who I started dating in my senior year and uh, continued dating her through my first year of college, and that ended badly. <laughs> um, and and uh, I unfortunately went through a very bad drought from like 95 to 99. Damn. <laughs> Georgia wasn't very kind to me at first, uh, but then it gave me a wife. And I remember one time where... The girl I was dating in college, Erin, she wanted me to do something, and I was like, I don't have the money for that. She's like, you have money to buy comics, you know what Because I was yep. really Yeah, I've heard that one, too. Um, and, you know, there have been times where I've spent too much on comics, but it was something I realized I had done, and I tried to correct the behavior with, you know, being with Rachel, because, you know, she's put a lot of things for me in perspective. But then there are times where she lets me buy a lot of comics, like last weekend, which was sweet. So, (laughs) taking her to those shows, though, is always a dodgy proposition because fanboys, as a species, uh, really don't know how to deal with the opposite sex. (laughs) Uh, Or at least the guys that go to these shows. Because, you know, my wife is very attractive, and she... She dresses, I wouldn't say she dresses provocatively, but she, she, she sometimes wears the low-cut shirts and stuff. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's like throwing fire on a gasoline at a comic convention because, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of sad. <laughs> well, I know at least twice in my, in my dating career, <laughs> I, got the, I got the dreaded, all right, it's me or the comics. And it was like right to the fucking curb, you know, because it's like, I'm sorry, you know, that's a contest you cannot win. You know, I love my wife dearly, but I think she acknowledged a long time ago that, you know, she realized that that would happen if if that that gauntlet was ever thrown down, you know. But you see, there you hit the nail on the head. Your, your Your wife may not like what you're into. But she accepts it as a part of you, right? Exactly. Yeah, and she, that's she. She knew what she was what she was in for when you know when she agreed to marry me. You know, she she resigned herself to that fate. You know, 
you know, I, I have never had to look at a girl and said, bitch, these comics were here before you, and I swear before Almighty God, they're going to be here after you. Right. Uh, I, I've been kind of lucky in that. But Rachel... Well, I've had conversations that went just about like what you just said. Too. <laughs> no, it's just about a fucking direct quote right there. <laughs> but Rachel, you know, Rachel and I laid it all on the on on the table when we first started dating. And in our first conversation together, I said, look, I'm into comic books. This is probably never going to change. And I brought her to my apartment. And she walked into my bedroom, which was covered in comic book posters. And I, you know, I, I was I, I was a very neat bachelor. I did not have a sloppy room. You know, all the you know the box. You know, comics weren't like spread all over the place. And the one thing she had to say about the room in a derogatory way is, "Where are your curtains?" <laughs> we had blinds. I didn't need freaking curtains. <laughs> it was fine. But the comic book poster. She looked around. She said, "That's cool." And I was just like, I'm going to marry this woman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other thing that you said was I was listening to, uh, I'm not sure exactly what episode it was because I'm a couple episodes behind, but I was listening to uh, From Crisis to Crisis the other day. And you and Jeffrey got into a conversation where where you were talking about how you never plug your other shows, and you were like, "Yeah, I guess I need to do that." So you you know you were talking about this show and everything, and you guys mentioned me by name and everything. I was like, "Oh, that's cool. I have to remember to thank those guys." But then a little bit further on, the conversation goes, and it was got into this weird thing about how you don't really like to talk about your other shows, and and I started to turn a little bit in my mind, and I'm going, "Wait a minute." <laughs> We plug his shit all the time on the other shows, so I thought I'd give you a little bit of shit about it. But it was funny. I was like, "Why?" I wonder why he feels that way. But it, it's it's I don't know. I honestly can't tell you. And it's basically mainly because I'm uncomfortable talking about myself, which is odd because I just did a 13 part series on Views from Longbox where I bared my life for the world to hear. <laughs> but. I know I should be like that person that's constantly like, well, I do a podcast. Well, I do a podcast. Well, I do all these other podcasts. But at the same time, I I feel like if I do that, people are going to, you know, like everybody else, this is my luck in life. Everybody else in the room can do something and it's fine. The moment I do it, suddenly I'm the asshole. And that's kind of my fear with, (laughs) with, with people like, man, you know, I like this show, but Mike needs to shut up about those other shows he does because we don't care. It's just like, God damn it, I knew this was going to happen. Nah. <laughs> I don't so, I don't think so. I mean, because, you know, I think that unless you're, like, really obnoxious about it or unless that's, like, all you ever talk about or something, I think, you know, when you, when you get a steady listener base and they enjoy listening to you, I think you're almost doing them a service to let them know, oh, by the way, you know, if you, if you want more of Mike, you know, Mike does this and Mike does it. You know, so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting a lot better about it. Um, we actually mentioned you in last week's episode, too, because... Uh, oh, awesome. Billy Hogan. Hi, Billy. Uh, wrote in to explain to Jeffrey what birth control glasses were. So, <laughs> oh, did he not know what they were? Yeah, Jeffrey wasn't really sure what those were. So, well, How did that come up in conversation? Uh, you had written an email to us where you mentioned that, you know, when I got glasses, you're like, I got glasses in, in the Air Force and I never wore them because they were the birth control glasses. <laughs> I thought and, everybody knew what birth control glasses were. If, if, if there's anybody listening right now and you don't know what birth control glasses are, basically birth control glasses are the glasses that are handed out to you by Uncle Sam when you're in a, a branch of the armed services, and they are so fucking repulsive 
that you are never going to get laid wearing those glasses. That's why they call them birth control glasses. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, they're, they're basically, as Billy Hogan described them, they're Buddy Holly glasses. Yes, yes, very you much know, so. They're, yeah. they're thick black frames because Uncle Sam isn't going to – he's not going to uh, pay for the Pierre Cardin and the, right. uh, and the really nice fancy – uh, frames. I don't even think he'd pay. They'd pay for the frames that I got, and my frames aren't all that expensive. So, <laughs> well, basically, go go to your family album and dig out pictures of your grandfather or great grandfather. Keep going back until you find somebody back in old black and white pictures that has glasses on, and you'll find a pair of birth control pictures <laughs> or birth control glasses. I mean. Or actually, birth control pictures, too, more than likely. How people made more people back then is because they were fucking hideous in the olden times. But <laughs> Wow. Anyway. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, are we ready to get into this? I feel like we I, had another subject, and I can't remember what it was. but I don't think so. Uh, I Yeah, I, I am going first this time with a Marvel book, and... I went a little off the beaten path this time. Usually, actually, I, I read a book that the next Marvel book I do, I'll, I'll do that one that I really enjoyed. It was one of the ones that I bought last weekend. Oh. But I, I got to thinking when I was when I was looking at one of my other purchases, I'm like, you know what? It's not a story, but it's a comic. It's old, and I think it's worth mentioning, especially if people are only familiar with the current iteration of this. And the book I dug out to discuss is the official handbook of the Marvel Universe Deluxe Edition number 5. And this has a cover date of April, let me double check that year, April 1986. So this is really, you know what, here's the ironic part, Scott. This cover date and the cover date of the Hulk issue we're talking about are the same. That's a weird coincidence. Oh, wow. Now is this the one that has the Hulk on it? Yes, that's why I chose it. The Hulk is my favorite Marvel character, so I chose this one to kind of discuss. And, and and basically, it's like this. Comic geeks for eons. Uh, you know, even, even if it, before the days of organized comic fandom in, in the 60s. I, I think one of the things that, that binds us together... I was about to start sounding like Obi-Wan from the... <laughs> from the first Star Wars film. Uh, Notice I said Star Wars and not A New Hope, because that's what it was called. Uh, (laughs) I don't know why I did that. That was a little angrier than I wanted to. But one of the things we like to talk about and think about is what, you know, characters' histories, characters' powers, you know, who they are, what they can do. And I, I think there's a certain subset of us that likes to catalog that kind of stuff. Mm hmm. And Marvel, much as I am a DC person, Marvel was the first company to go, you know what, we're going to do that. In 83, they released the first official handbook of the Marvel Universe. There is a great issue of Back Issue, I forget which one, that actually showed pictures from before the first issue came out with the gauntlet that Mark Gruenwald and the other editors and writers ran <laughs> To get this thing together, because nothing like this had been had ever been uh, undertaken. And, and if I'm correct, I think the, fir- the the initial concept was to create something in house for editors to hand writers and artists. To right. Say, okay, here, here, who these characters are. This is their basic history, just for the sake of con- uh, consistency. 
But you give this type of thing to a, a comic book fan, especially diehard ones, and we will freaking eat this stuff up with the spoon. And the handbook, God, this is going to really hurt to say, the handbook as they were in the 80s had it over DC's Who's Who. Oh, absolutely. Just in terms of presentation and content. I love Who's Who, don't get me wrong. I have all 26 issues of the first series. I have both of the 87 update, the 88 update, the Legion of Superheroes. I even have the freaking Star Trek Who's Who. <laughs> which, as you've pointed out to me on numerous occasions, has some really great John Byrne art. Yes, it does. Now, do you have uh, the Legion one? Yes, I do. Okay. I, I, I scored that off of eBay for 8 bucks. Can you believe oh, that? Oh, damn, that's a really good deal, because those, uh, those usually price out pretty... Or at least they used to. I don't, maybe they don't anymore, but they used to. But the official Marvel handbook, had, you know, especially the deluxe edition, which is what I'm discussing tonight. Tonight, on Back to the Bins. Um, it really ramped up what they had done initially, because the first handbook, it's great, but it was kind of like a picture, a bare-bones history, you know, w- you know their powers, and that was it. And, you know, DC followed suit for that. With the, with the Deluxe Edition, they really went all out. Because not only did you get the real name, the occupation, uh, it, it listed their identity, which could be secret or unknown or known to the public. Uh, this one I was always fascinated with, legal status. Right. I mean, I was just like, wow, that's that's really anal retentive and cool. Known relatives, base of operations, first appearance, you know, the history. But when you got to the description of their abilities, okay, I'm looking at Gladiator right now. If you don't know who Gladiator is, he's basically Mon-El for the Marvel Universe. I, I want to stop you right there. I've been yeah. meaning to write you on... I, I'm, I'm trying to think of where I've heard you say that, but I've heard you say that at least two other times. It's probably on views. Now, where in the world did you get the idea that he was Monel? Because the the uh, what is that group he is part of? The uh, the Imperial, the Imperial Guard, Guard was the was the Legion of Superheroes, right? But he's Superboy. He's the Superboy. Analog. I only saw him more as as Monel, really. Yeah, but Just, look at uh, his look at his costume. <laughs> I, okay, I see what you're talking about, but okay. I mean, he arguably he could be either one. He really could yeah. be either one. But the reason I think I've always favored him more being Superman is because one of the earliest appearances I ever saw him in, it wasn't the very first one, but definitely one of the earliest was I'm pretty sure it's FF. It's either 249 and 250 or 250 and 251, I forget. But it's the Man and Superman story where basically Superman comes and kicks the Fantastic Four's ass. Now, they used Gladiator because, of course, this is Marvel Comics and they can't use Superman. But that's basically what that story was. Superman comes to the Baxter building and just mops the floor with the Fantastic Four. It was a great story. So, yeah, that's why, to me, he's always been basically marvel's version of of superman or superboy if you will since he's you know it, it, he's part of a legion analog team to, to try to be the biggest dork in the room that cover to i believe 249 or 250 has gladiator holding up the thing mm-hmm. 
and he's yeah, holding you know Superman number what was it number eight Superman number eight yeah Byrne did it again yep I love that <laughs> oh man something great... else I'd like to see be a t-shirt either one of those yeah oh no doubt God I, I definitely buy the the Superman one at least but when they're discussing his powers it's not like powers and abilities super strength super speed no it's strength level. Gladiator possesses class 100 strength, enabling him to lift, uh, in parentheses, press over 100 tons. The uppermost limit of Gladiator's strength is unknown. He is proven capable of uprooting the entire 35-floor original Baxter building and has boasted to be able to move planets. And then it gets into the known superpowers, and it's like paragraphs long. You know, Gladiator is the most powerful known member of the Imperial Guard. In addition to his extraordinary strength, he is virtually invulnerable and has survived an explosion of nearly Nova Force uninjured. However, he is vulnerable to certain unspecified wavelengths of great of radiation. Then it goes into his uh, speed, his you know his ex his heat vision, his super breath, and all of that. And it's just like, wow, that's really detailed and awesome. I just love this. I eat this kind of stuff up. Now, they, they've they redone it recently. I, I never really read it. I don't know if they do it as awesome as, as this one is. I've got a lot of the ones that they've put out in more recent years, you know, where they started to break it down more, where it was like, you know, the Ohatmu for Avengers and the Ohatmu for, yeah. you know, Golden Age and stuff. And I like them. But the problem is, is that they got, in my opinion anyway, they got lazy about it because you buy the one for the Avengers and half the fucking Avengers aren't even in it. Yeah, because they were in some other volume. So what they do instead was that they just reference it, you know, for and and I I believe they do it right in the beginning of the book. So there'll be this laundry list of characters you were expecting to be in there. And what you get is this long list of, you know, other places to go seek these out. So you got like Captain America and you got to go find some other volume. You got, you know, Beast is going to be in some other volume. And it's like so what you when you get something like the Avengers one, you're really getting like the, the B through Z list guys, you know, yeah. you get a bunch of like, you know, you get the guy who, you know, that woman who married a tree and shit like that. And it's like, <laughs> why, who the hell are these assholes? I mean, you know, granted they're connected to the Avengers. Yes, they are. But you know, if I buy the Avengers, I expect at the very least to see like Captain America. You yeah, know, you, not you in need, there, you know. You need the Holy Trinity of of Cap, uh, Cap Iron, Thor, and Iron Man, yeah. And it's I just... don't believe any of the three of them are in. You know, like I, I don't remember what years the the latest ones were, but you know, it's uh, yeah. Let me see the one I've got. Yeah, two thousand five Avengers, two thousand five. I believe it even has Cap on the cover of it, but I'm almost positive he's not he's... actually in the issue itself. Well, I'm I'm going to take a quick digression to bitch about something. Um, right around the time that the movies for like X-Men and Spider-Man started coming out, they would do encyclopedias for these characters, hardcover books. They were about $25, $30. And all they were essentially were reprints of uh, Ohatmu-type entries. Mm-hmm. And what always bugged me about them uh, was they always used current artwork instead of like showing kind of more of a historical look of it and i understand they're trying to push what's current right. but you know sometimes these characters had really boss looks in the past so 
which is why I use the term boss, which I've been using lately, and I have no idea why. Well, the only one of those I bought was the Hulk one. Because, again, Hulk, favorite Marvel character. Love this character since I was a kid. And what I expected to get was, you know, first entry Hulk, then, you know, She-Hulk, Betty Banner, you know, Leonard Sampson, the leader, the abomination, even the fucking Bi-Beast, <laughs> who's probably one of the more useless Hulk characters ever, in, in, in my humble opinion. What they did was they hired this asshole who wrote kind of a pop culture history book about the Hulk. Yeah, I remember you talking about that. And yeah. called it an encyclopedia. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but, uh, but the entry on the Hulk in this issue is awesome. The, the first page has all of his vital statistics and all that. Um, his legal status, by the way, is citizen of the United States with criminal record pardoned. Yeah, up is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, because you know people people bitch about Reagan, but he pardoned the Hulk. So there you go. And <laughs> uh, but the but most of the page is I I'd put money. Yep, John Byrne. Oh yeah, huge John Byrne. Now he's wearing the speedo, and his legs look like tree trunks, but it's still kind of cool to see. And the rest of the artwork is made up of panels from Burns' run on the book. Mm -hmm. So everything's kind of consistent, except this one picture, which is not Burn at all. But, you know, you have that picture of him hoisting up the Silver Centurion Iron Man and punching Wonder Man in the face, and, you know, Banner is obviously Burn, but it just looks so, it's just so awesome, and the, the history of it is so detailed and goes through, like, every, you know, major touchstone of the Hulk's history. And then you've got a half a page on his abilities, his strength, his strengths, and his known superhuman powers. And it's just, ah, oh, God, I love this thing. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I am a sucker for this type of stuff, you know, especially the old stuff like this. Uh, by the way, got all 20 issues of the... Deluxe edition and all fourteen or fifteen issues of the first edition, all at fifty cents a piece. You know, for shits and giggles, I went on eBay to see what they go for. Both sets were going for forty dollars a piece. Yep, I was just going to say they used to go for a lot of money because I know I was trying to track them down a while ago to to buy them for my oldest boy, and I wondered if maybe they had lost their value, but evidently not. I think we just got some really good deals at that show, really. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, in all honesty, if I ever find them like that again, I'm going to buy them and I will have them bound. Because I have the essentials of these, but you point the reason why I bought them is you pointed out something very, uh, something I hadn't thought of, that ROM wouldn't be in it. Right. Mm -hmm. In the essential, because they don't have the, the rights to them. But, you know, you don't have to worry about that with back issues. So, yeah, yeah I, I know, not a story, not something to really dig into about a character like, you know, you know Daredevil or Captain America or something. But still, I, you know, I thought it'd be, it, it fits the time period we're talking about in. So that was my choice. Well, I'm amused to look at the cover of it. And granted, it's spelled wrong, but uh, it's it says Gardner to the Hulk. And I'm trying to remember who the hell the Gardner is. I think he's one of the elders of the universe, if I remember right. First appearance in Marvel Team-Up number 55. Yes, he was, he was an elder of the universe. He possesses no citizenship. <laughs> Just to tell you, his identity is secret. His existence is unknown to the general population of Earth. <laughs> and I think that was probably his only appearance. He needs to get himself a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, are we ready to dig into something something completely different? Yes. All right. This one here. It's funny that you you came up with uh, with an hot move for this one because I have something that is uh, off the traditional uh, comic path as well. Something uh, oh, just a little bit unusual. Um, not strictly a comic in the strictest sense of the word. This is going back to. Um, Oh, what year was this? I should have wrote it down earlier. Where is it? I know there's got to be a year in this thing, because it's right on the cusp. Yeah, here it is, 1994. So it's like right on the cusp of, of our cutoff date that we had we had decided upon. Um, this is issue number four of Superman and Batman magazine. And what this was was a magazine that was coming out when Batman the animated series had made such a big splash and because the Batman logo that's on the the cover you know Superman is just the standard Superman logo on the cover but the Batman part of where it says Superman and Batman magazine was the logo from Batman the animated series you know where it's got the moon behind Batman and you know he's got his cape in front of his face and all that beautiful beautiful painted cover on it by uh, Kevin Altieri of Robin um it's like jumping over gargoyles on this building and everything, and, and Batman's kind of in the background behind him. And uh, I'm still trying to collect all of these issues, just you know, because I'm trying to be a completist and collect you know everything that was related to like Batman the animated series and all. But also, these books featured, um, amongst other things, about you know, amongst like articles and stuff. There were usually at least a little bit of comics in them, mm-hmm. usually drawn by some of the guys who actually worked on the uh, the Batman comic books that, you know, were spin-offs of Batman the Animated Series, you know, like Batman Adventures and later Batman and Robin Adventures and stuff like that. So in this one, you know, there's a couple of pages of just, you know, different articles. They, these are really intended for kids, so the articles are, are pretty much kiddie fare. But then you get to the first comics section, and it's Batman and Robin in a story called uh, Trial Run, written by Kelly Puckett with uh, art by Mike Parabek and oh. Rick Burchett. And it's oh. beautiful. And what's really nice about it is that, you know, this is a magazine, so it's magazine size, so the art is much larger. Plus, Mike Parabek drew in such a style where, you know, his panels were huge. You know, mm-hmm. he, he didn't break the grid down into the typical, you know, like nine-panel grid. You know, a lot of times his panels were three or four panels to a page. So with this being magazine size, his art really is being shown off in this one. And it's a pretty standard story where Batman and Robin are running around on rooftops, sort of in a race, but it's more like a, it's supposed to be like a training session. And... While they're running, Batman spots these uh, gangsters who have this poor guy up on a, a building ledge, and they're telling him, to, you know, he's basically got a jumper, they're going to shoot him. And while that's going on, um, Robin is distracted, and he basically has a brief flashback and, and recounts his origins on how he became Robin, you know, with the death of his parents at the circus. And the guy ends up falling off the roof. And Robin swings down, catches him, and that's pretty much the end of the story is that, you know, Robin catches the guy and, and feels like in a small way that, I don't know, like he's atoned or, or earned his stripes as Batman's partner, something to that effect. 
Then there's a beautiful, it's almost like a, an old-fashioned Playboy centerfold right in the middle because you've got to <laughs> turn the magazine sideways to appreciate the full-size thing. But it's by Ty Templeton, and it is a beautiful picture of Billy Batson standing in the in the hallway in the wizard's uh, lair with all the seven deadly sins behind him. And he's actually becoming Captain Marvel. So, you know, behind him is, you know, the Shazam logo. And it's, you know, it's one of those, like, uh, transition pictures that you see a lot with Captain Marvel where both he and Billy are actually on the page at the same time. Love it. With the lightning striking. And this is, it's just beautiful. Really nice piece of art. I've not seen it anywhere else, so I don't know that it's ever been reprinted or anything, but just a really nice piece. A page on, a couple of pages actually, on how to draw Superman. And these are really cool because this is Superman in his mullet phase. You know, we had the long hair. It wasn't a mullet. Well, no, it wasn't really, but yeah. But, you know, Sorry. It's the long... <laughs> That's one of my picky things. <laughs> <laughs> well, Superman with the long hair, anyway. Short section teaching kids about, uh, about martial arts. And then it highlights at the bottom of the page some of the uh, martial artists of the DC Universe. And I get a kick out of this. You know, it's Batman and Robin, of course, Huntress. Uh, Green Arrow, Lady Shiva, Black Canary, and Black Lightning, who I wouldn't really think of as a martial artist in the DCU, but I, I, I guess arguably. And then, best part of the whole magazine. This is really what I bought this particular issue for. There is a hero file that can be cut out and three-ring punched to put in, you know, like the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the DC Universe... That, that three-ring binder edition that came out. The, of, the, the, the best who's who ever. Who's who, yeah, that's it, yeah. And this is a hero file for Captain Marvel. <sighs> and it is really cool. Now, somebody asked us a while back how old that we thought Billy Batson was supposed to be. According to this, he's supposed to be 10 years old, which I think is a little young, but that's what it says. This is age 10 years old, so... You know, take that for what you will, and then it is young. Yeah, that's I very think, young. Yeah, I think that's that's too young, honestly. But uh, and then there's a great short little story that is written by Jerry Ordway, penciled by Mike Parabek, inked by Rich Rick Burchett, and it's a Captain Marvel story. So you're getting a Captain Marvel story by Mike Parabek, and it is. Awesome! Wow. I mean, it's it's really simple. It's a short little thing. It's it's very much for for the kiddies. So there's not a lot of meat to it. Not a lot of you know whatever. But just simply the fact that it's Captain Marvel drawn by Parabek. Man, if you ever see this around, you gotta pick it up. It's totally totally cool. Last page is a nice little interview with uh, Kevin uh, Altieri, who was one of the. Uh, Directors. Directors on Batman the Animated Series. And it was just a nice little article, you know, telling you a little bit about him. And then speculation at the end of it on whether uh, there may eventually one day be a Superman the Animated Series, which I got a real <laughs> kick out of because, of course, you know, that not long after that actually did happen. So, altogether, an awesome issue. And, uh, you know, I've got a few of these. I think I've got half or maybe even three quarters of the issues because I think there's only like eight or nine issues of this. There, there weren't very many yeah. of them. And all the ones I've ever gotten 
are just like this. You know, the really fantastic art, nice little stories, usually an origin story of a particular DCU character, typically um, Mike Parabek art, and they're just really a lot of fun. And they're usually not very expensive if you can manage. The, the hard part is finding them. You know, they're not usually very much if you can find them. So I highly recommend them if you like that uh, DCU animated kind of stuff. Check them out. Yeah, I actually bought the very first issue of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I never bought another one because it always kind of had a little bit of a sad connotation for me because I bought, I found the first issue in the uh, in the gift shop at the hospital one of the times I was visiting my mom when she was sick for the second time. Uh. And, it, and, and I loved it because I was bored out of my skull. And I'm not... Com- because, you know, my mom had a much worse time at the hospital than I did. But, you know, when you're, God, how old was I? That was like 17 years old and you have nothing to read and you find something comic book related. Because <laughs> it's not like I was going to sit there and read People magazine because I'd already read that issue. But uh, but, uh, but I remember buying that first one because I think the first one had Superman and Batman on the cover. Yes. Mm-hmm. If I'm correct. And that that's what attracted me. I was like... And that's one of my thoughts was, wow, it would be really awesome to see a uh, a Batman tele- I mean, a Superman animated series. Mm-hmm. Well, the Superman on that cover predates Superman the animated series, but boy, he sure looks like what he eventually looked like on that animated series. Because that one, I- I'm looking at the cover right now, and and he doesn't have the long hair. He he pretty much looks like what he would eventually look like on that series. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I've only have, I've only got a couple other issues of that. I've got number five, which uh, looks like it has Hawkman and something to do with Guy Gardner in it. And then another one, uh, it's got Wonder Woman, and it says actually it says Spotlight on Superman himself. So that's kind of cool. But uh, the covers on all of these are really nice. They're all fully painted, super detailed covers that they almost look to me like. Uh, like old school animation, you know, the like yeah. the, the really nice detail, you know, like like what they did on Batman the Animated Series itself with backgrounds. The backgrounds on those shows were usually just beautiful pieces of painted art that really owed back to like the classic Warner Brothers cartoons of the '40s. You know, where, when when cartoons, you know, before cartoons on TV. Or, or well, actually, back then they were made for the theater. But you know, cartoons before they generated into that, or degenerated rather, into that Saturday morning, you know, slap together shit. You know, and a lot in a lot of ways, I don't think cartoons ever quite recovered from that. You know, they still a lot of times I, I look at what kids are watching, you know, on like Nickelodeon or even Disney, you know, and it and it still just looks slapdash to me. They don't have that richness. Of like say like an old forties Bugs Bunny cartoon or something like that, you know. Whereas Batman the animated series did, it was very richly detailed and, and do, beautifully painted. Do you listen to Word Balloon by any chance? Mm-mm. No. Okay, uh, Word Balloon's uh, it's hosted by John Suntress. He usually interviews like current comic book writers and artists, but he had Marty Pasco on there. Hmm. Uh, for uh, for I think it was a two parter because he talked because it was a really long interview, very good. And Marty uh, was talking about his time writing for Batman the animated series. Oh, okay. And how 
you won't get a show like that. And if you do, it's very rare because nowadays they have more of an auteur um, approach to doing an animated series where it's all done by, you know, it's one person's vision and they get a little group together like, you know, Fairly Odd Parents or SpongeBob SquarePants. It's not a group of people coming together to create the show. Uh, Samurai Jack was another example of that. Right. What's it, what was his name? Oh, the guy who did, um, oh, uh, Dave Filoni, possibly? Uh, it was. Just, I thought it was the same guy that did The Clone Wars. Yeah, that's Dave. Well, I don't know. Dave Filoni's doing the, the current one, you know, the uh, CGI one. I'm not sure if he was the same guy that was doing... Grindy, has a, he had a really bizarre name which is probably why I'm forgetting it. But, yeah, that's, that's another reason why you won't see a lot of that sort of thing with animation these days because it's it's done basically with computers mostly. Right. And, you know, you get one computer background. You've invested in the creation of that, so by God, you're going to use it again and again and <laughs> again. So. And that was actually one of the cool features on one of the Justice League box sets I have where they actually went through some of the background paintings yeah mm-hmm. that they used and it was just amazing because you never really notice it until it's pointed out to you and then you can't unsee it so awesome god i love my parapet <laughs> well i guess that leads us into our our, our feature presentation and i, I kind of want to hear that hbo thing where you, know, you <laughs> start it you start at the mountain and go through the or you start at the city and go up the mountain and you go into space and the HBO logo starts spinning. Did you ever watch like the making of that? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. On HBO because they would show it all the time. My god. <laughs> how how freaking arrogant are you as a company that not only do you pour a bunch of money in this thing that basically is to introduce the next movie but you produce a making of feature on it. <laughs> it was awesome though. Oh, God, yes, it was. Man, that was part of my childhood. We always had HBO. And I'm trying to find the credits page for this issue, and I really can't. Where the heck is it's it? not all the way Oh, here it is. Okay. I found it. Okay. Sorry about that. I should have been more organized. But we are talking, we are continuing our look at the John Byrne run on The Incredible Hulk, or at least his first one. And we have issue 318 which came out uh, with a cover date of April 1986. It was a whopping 75 cents. And I have the type of cover. It was a direct edition because it has the M for the 318 and the April instead of something else. And you have the black Spider-Man head where the barcode should be. <laughs> so it's written script and art, excuse me, by John Byrne with background inks by Keith Williams. Uh, Denny O'Neill was still the editor, and this is still when Jim Shooter was editor-in-chief. And we open on the top-secret Paramelli... Paramelli? <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. The top-secret paramilitary installation somewhere in the vastness of the American Southwest and Betty Ross is searching for Bruce Banner, and when she opens the door, she she finds him sitting there, seemingly unaware that the Incredible Hulk is lumbering behind him, and she cries out his name, and it turns out that it was just a hologram. 
Psych! So, <laughs> Bruce explains that he has constructed a very detailed hologram to get a good look at the Hulk because he's never really seen the creature before up close. You know, being one with him. And for the first time, I think in the comic books, uh, or in, in the text to, uh, to refer to it in that way, I think this is the first time it is ever referred to that the Hulk was gray. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought was interesting because he, because Bruce like shows a, a picture of the Hulk as we see him now in the purple speedo. And then he shows the gray incarnation, which was, you know, shorter, a little more intelligent, not as strong. And Bruce uh, basically is saying, you know, I, I got to track this guy down or I've got to track the Hulk down. I have to destroy him because, you know, he has been such a thorn in my side. Betty comments, on how he sounds a lot like Thunderbolt Ross, with Bruce, which Bruce is amused by, before the expositional news network breaks in to talk about Leonard Sampson searching for the Hulk, to which Banner goes, The Fool! So we cut to the uh, to Leonard Sampson, still in the KL-17 uh, uh, little two-man mini-chopper that he stole from Diane Bellamy in the last issue. <laughs> And he finds the Hulk, who's just kind of standing there. So Samson drops down, and we get another really great uh, couple of pages of Samson just wailing on the Hulk, who is not fighting back, and we discover that this is not the Hulk. This is, in fact, a robot uh, used for training of the new Hulkbusters. And uh, the new Hulkbusters uh, have this kind of... I don't want to call it a Voltron type machine, but that's kind of how it is. You got four people in this device, and it's this giant robotic thing with Ed 209 legs, and they just start attacking Leonard Sampson for seemingly no reason. So Sampson fights back, you know, a battle breaks out between the two of them, uh, which I don't know. I don't know about you. It just seems really pointless that they're fighting. It really does. So then the machine breaks apart into separate units, and Laroquette and his co pilot fire at Leonard Sampson, but they hit the other uh, part of the robot, and the the woman, uh, Carolyn, is killed. And and Rocky, Laroquette, freaks out and starts trying to run into the fire and you know his his partner is holding it back saying don't you can't go in there you know she's gone and Leonard Sampson kind of stops him as well and Rocky immediately blames uh, Sampson for her death saying that if he hadn't been there she wouldn't have died and he takes a swing at Leonard Sampson and 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 Doc Sampson's kind of a jackass here. He goes, "Don't get tough, big man. You're not in my league." <laughs> knocks him on his ass. I love yeah, it. Yeah, just just knocks him down. And Sampson hops back into the stolen little two seater, and Rocky uh, says that you know swears vengeance uh, on Sampson for killing the 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 woman he loved, even though you know it was kind of their fault. And we cut back to the Hulkbusters base. And the Asian woman joins. I feel really bad that I don't remember these characters' names, but they were kind of forgettable. Yeah, they're, they're throwaway characters anyway. 
So uh, Professor Takata joins Betty in the gym, and she starts talking about how you know Bruce has asked her to marry him. He, he, she doesn't know what to do, and she gives her and Takata gives her the very pat, uh, you know, trust your heart. And on the very last page, a very prim and proper Betty Betty Ross goes to Bruce and says yes. Um, I got a boatload of problems with this issue. None of them have to do with the writing or the art. It's just... Okay, let me see if I'm missing something here. Uh, Doc Sampson sees the Hulk robot, right? Mm-hmm. So he beats the hell out of it, and the Hulkbusters show up and immediately attack him. Right. Seemingly for no reason, just because he's there. So... They break apart in their little Voltron vehicle with the Ed 209 legs. And Larroquette opens fire on Samson and hits the other machine. And this is all Doc Samson's fault, apparently. Am I missing that that's, like, completely stupid? No, no. I've got the same problem with this issue. You know, I, I remembered loving this entire run so much but it had been a while since i had read it and i i really i do enjoy the whole run and up till now i haven't found any problems with it but this is where it stumbles a bit because i like the banner sequences i love i i always enjoyed and always felt burn didn't get enough appreciation for the the extraordinary work that he did to try to correct continuity problems, yeah. fix things, and explain things in a, in a very... I mean, he, he did it a lot the way that Stan would do it. You know, it might be all bullshit science, but it was bullshit science that worked within the comic book realm, that whatever realm it was that you were working in. In this case, we're working in the Hulk realm, so, you know, he's using Hulk science in this. And I love it. You know, the explanation of... You know, one of the things I remember wondering about as a kid, when I would watch like those old 60s Hulk cartoons, you know, the Hulk could be shot, you know, like yeah. like he could be like on the old, you know, Lou Ferrigno TV show, the, the Hulk could get shot and bleed. But then later on, you know, by the time of like this series here, you know, the Hulk is, you know, he's holding up mountains <laughs> in Secret Wars and shit, you know, he's able to practically fly he could jump so high and stuff and he was you know he could hold his own with thor and things like that you know so he had clearly evolved from his earliest days and i love that burn acknowledged that and and came up with something of an explanation for that but then you get to the the b story with leonard sampson and as much as i have been enjoying that up to now you know, where Samson has, is very much, you know, Captain Ahab, and he's all obsessed with, you know, hunting the Hulk. This just gets silly. You yeah. Know? I mean, he... Just, he, like, really quick, too. Yeah, I mean, the Hulkbusters attack him just because he busted up their stupid robot? What the hell is that all about? And then, you know, if this guy is going to get pissed at anybody for his squeeze getting taken out, he should be pissed at himself because he's the one that fired. He's the one that caused her death not samson samson's just the, the stupid bastard who was fighting a robot yeah you know? saunders who was the guy that was in the little flyy part of the voltron vehicle with the ed 209 feet 
uh, is the one that opens fire on him. So basically, if, again, if Larroquette's going to be pissed, it's going to be at the guy that actually fired on Samson. <laughs> because these, I, I understand that, I, I think the, the, the logic behind it is if they can take down Samson, they have a chance of taking down the Hulk. Mm. You know, okay, we, we came out here to test ourselves. Let's test ourselves against somebody who's actually gone toe-to-toe with the Incredible Hulk. But the minute you realize that it's going bad is when you shut everything down, you hit abort, and you kind of regroup. You know, the, the fact that she died, it, it just, one, throws shows what throwaway characters these people were. Right. You know, it, it, it's a good thing that he didn't put more time into developing them because it would have been just kind of a wasted exercise. But I agree with you. It's I, I, I love the fact that Byrne, because in every retelling of the origin of the Hulk up until like this point, the Hulk was always green in the flashbacks. Right. From the very beginning. And this was like one of the first times... Uh, you know, in the series itself, they're like, well, no, he was actually gray, you know, and, and, you know, Peter David would do much more with the gray incarnation of the Hulk than I think anybody mm-hmm. uh, ever has. But yeah, the Bruce scenes in this are great. I mean, he, he really is coming to terms with, you know, I, I have to destroy the Hulk and Betty kind of trying to come to terms with how do I feel about this man who I love? And in the end, she decides to marry him. Uh, it, after exercising in her really awesome 80s exercise outfit. She's not wearing leg warmers, which I was kind of disappointed in. <laughs> but she she does have that kind of tube top thing going on. with What the hell were the... It's, like a, it's almost like a bathing suit, except the entire front part was open, mm-hmm. which was very popular in the 80s. God, that's hot. Anyways... It um, is really hot. I was always hoping women would forget the tube top part of it. <laughs> But then the out- outfit she wears in the in the next one, she looks like a school marm. Yeah, she does. <laughs> well, you know what she looks? Like? She looks a lot like um, um, Sawyer from uh, from Superman. You know, the cop, the lady cop. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see that. Actually, God, yeah, I can really see that. It's the butch haircut, I think, that does it. Ah, I bet he can pull it off. I mean, if she can pull off wings and you know, like. Like bird legs, I think she can pull off short hair. Oh, when she was the harpy, yeah. <laughs> you know that's hot and really risque for its day because I remember reading that as as a preteen, and I'm like, damn, she's naked because she was actually naked in that, and that was yeah, she was topless. Yeah, they just, just had the hair covering mm-hmm. the 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 appropriate things. Not a lot of good ads in this issue, unfortunately. Oh, you know what? I didn't even pay any attention to the ads. Kind but I tell you what, the art is unreal. I love the art in this. And it makes up for the shortcomings of the story, in in my opinion anyway, because the the picks of, especially of of Samson, really laying into the Hulk. I I love the the one on page 9, the last panel on page 9. It looks like he is punching the Hulk right in the (laughs) voice. It's just like, oh, that's got to I don't care if you are a robot. That's got to hurt right there. Well, well, here's a question for you, though. Haven't we been basically seeing this scene repeated over, like, four issues, though? I mean, it's cool to see. Don't don't get me wrong. It's mm-hmm. great artwork. But we're basically seeing the same fight repeated over and over and over again. I'll give you that to a degree. But, I, you know, on the same 
on the same token, I would argue, you know, what what are you coming to the Hulk for? Yeah. You're coming to the Hulk to see him either tearing shit up and throwing it around or him fighting somebody more or less on his power level and, and you know, them beating the hell out of each other. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> he's giving you what you want. At least he's giving you what true. I want. When I, when I open up a Hulk book, this is what I want to see. I want to see the Hulk and some other Hulk level strength person duking it out and tearing shit up and that's pretty much what they you know that what they do so hey i'm happy actually i want to see that i want to see one other thing that we never see in the burn uh run except in a flashback i love the transformation scenes yes Mm -hmm. and and that comes from growing up with the the tv series right i fully admit to that you know, I, I was the one that at the twenty-minute mark, going, "Okay, they, someone's got to start kicking this guy's ass, <laughs> or he's got to stumble into a to a hive of bees, or he's got to burn himself, or he's got to do something because the Hulk's got to come out and tear some shit up." <laughs> and, and, and that's just that's why I came to this party. The fact that you got good stories was always kind of like the bonus, but yeah, that was my biggest disappointment with the Ang Lee Hulk film, is that in the end he fought air. <laughs> yeah. And water and a rock. Well, that, <laughs> it's that, like, that really that movie, villain wise or threat wise, suffered from the same thing that I think you know the like Superman Returns. Suffered, oh yes, definitely. Which was you know you, you've got this you know you finally are able to make this movie in the in the modern special effects give you the ability to make it look absolutely freaking awesome and and pretty much believable that you know this man can fly and. He, he can pick up ocean liners and he can lift continents and he can fire lasers out of his eyes and all this shit. Yet you don't give him anything to do, anybody to fight. You know, I mean, it, you, you can only be entertained with him rounding up crooks and thugs for so long before you're like, okay, I want to see, you know, this guy fighting somebody on his power level and buildings getting knocked over. You know, and and I think that's. Yeah. You know, if if the second Hulk movie did anything right, and I think it did a hell of a lot of things right, but if it did oh, one thing right, it gave him somebody to fight that could stand toe to toe with him, and and that's what I when I go to these kind of movies, that's what I want to see. You know, so if it's the Hulk, I want to see him fighting an anti-Hulk. If it's Superman, I'd like to see him fighting. You know, not Lex Luthor or, you know, a supercomputer or something. You know, that's why I give Superman 4 a, a great big pass because for all of its problems, he fights somebody on his own power level. You know, yes, he does. you can call the nuclear man lame all day long. But at least, yeah, I thought he was kind of cool. At least he was able to tussle with Superman on Superman's level. That's pretty impressive to me. And we went from Burns Hulk to Superman 4. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> Only on this show, though, can you get that. Oh, so there I you know. go. Well, I think that about wraps us up, don't you? Do you have anything else on this one? No, just, you know, it, it's kind of a shame that it ended on this note. That Burns run on the, on the, on the book ended on this note. I mean, because the next issue is really, really strong. Mm-hmm. But it didn't feel like the last issue of his, of, of of his run on the book. It felt like the 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 first chapter was done, 
and now we can continue and we didn't get to see any more so uh just, just this is this was definitely the weakest uh and that's you know not really a complaint but of of the of the issues we've discussed so far this one was the weakest of that lot to me well i'm i'm looking forward to wrapping this up because i honestly can't you know beyond the fact of the wedding and i don't think we're spoiling anything by saying that you know, beyond the wedding that happens next issue, I don't remember much of that issue itself. So I'm looking forward to uh, to reading well, that. I don't envy you for the synopsis, <laughs> just because of how the book is prepared. Ah, uh, okay. So I haven't read it yet. So reread it, I should say. So, all right. Well, I think that takes us out for this one. Join us again next week when we'll have two new, completely random things that we'll be covering in the meantime uh come back on friday and listen to us babble on and on on tales of the justice society of america always a good show join us and listen cool well at least we think it's a good show (laughs) (laughs) that's what they say anyway Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the 2 True Freaks section of the comicforums.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. They are the first and best team of mystery men ever to assemble for the cause of justice. The heroes that have been part of their ranks are legendary. They fight for America and for democracy, and yet no one has devoted a podcast to their exploits. Until now. Unfortunately, it's hosted by these guys. I don't care what Julia Schwartz says. Yeah, league sounds like a baseball team. I hate baseball. So, there you go. Um, First F-bomb of the show. Um, How did you beat me to the first F-bomb of the show? Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey present Tales of the Justice Society of America Fridays at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? 
Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands, battle stations! This is Captain Kirk. Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Apparel attack. All hands battle Mondays. Available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com.